developing his kingship now that he's king over all Israel, uh, and now that he has uh, conquered his capital city and uh, won the wars with the Philistines, he's got some plans for the capital city, which includes making it both a worship center and a governmental center. And so, uh, would somebody read chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, verses 1 to 5? Then David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ao, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ao went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music with the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firwood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and on cymbals. Now this is an event that is also recorded in detail in First Chronicles. First Chronicles um, chapter 13 and verse 1, David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds and even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us do this. Now David seems to have been more interested in the opinion of other people in this area than he was with the opinion of the Lord, which is something that would concern you in terms of what he's about to do. He wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He wants to make Jerusalem this center of worship, and so he is taking the ark from where it was, and where was it? Yeah, where? Where was it? Yeah, well, whose house? Benadab's house. Why was it there? That's where the oxen stopped with when the Philistines. Yes, they sent it back. Yeah, exactly. Remember that? How the Philistines had taken it and they sent it back? And so that's where it ended up. And uh, how does he go about transporting the ark? Puts it on a new cart, you know, that uh, oxen are uh, uh, leading. Uh, is that the first time the ark had ever been transported in that way? The Philistines had done it. So they take a chapter out of the Philistines' book, thinking they had a better idea. Do you remember what the Lord's idea about the transporting of the ark had been? Yeah, the pulls to the rings on the shoulders of the Levites. That was what the Lord had prescribed. But, uh, you know, nothing happened to the Philistines when they sent it back that way. And uh, so David does that. He does it with great flourish. I mean, look at verse 5. Look at all the celebration, all the instruments, all the praise to God. You know, they're excited. They're honoring the Lord. This is a great chapter in their history. You would expect God would greatly honor them for worshiping and praising him so much. Comments or thoughts? I realize we just started that by doing that. Anything you want to say about that before we go on? Okay? 6 through 11. And when they came to 
to Nashon's threshing, threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, while the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called his name of the place Perez Uzzah unto this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord into him until the city, into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, yeah, Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So the uh, ark is uh, about to be upset. And you know, it's on this card. Evidently, the ground was not uh, level, and uh, the oxen perhaps stumbled or whatever. But the ark was about the ark was about to fall. One of the ones guiding it, Uzzah, reached out his hand to steady the ark, and what happened? He was struck down. Now he wasn't supposed to touch the ark, but that was not really the main point behind striking down Uzzah. The main point, you get that especially in 1 Chronicles 15, is that they didn't transport the ark the way God told them to. God said to do it with the poles through the rings on the shoulders of the Levites, and they did it on this new cart. That was not according to the ordinance. That was not the way God said in his will, in his word, to do it. And therefore, that's not what he intended to be done. And uh, that was really the cause of the terrible outburst from the Lord against them. You know, you might think about what this tells you about God. You know, if God is that concerned about how you transport the ark, what does that say about God? Standards. He has standards. Because? His way is the best way. <laughs> He's holy. You know, when we understand who God is, his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, then his standards must be respected. His will must be reverenced. He is a great God, and, and what he says must prevail. You know, and you think about if, if so much respect was needed in terms of transporting this symbol of God's presence, how much more respect we ought to show toward the realities of the new covenant. That, that's something for us to really think about. Do we have that kind of respect? But when this happened, when God struck us dead on the spot, what was David's response? He was upset with God. Why? He thought God acted harshly and rash. Yes. He, was, he thought God was hard to please. You know, that God was just being uh, difficult. And, and, and maybe David presumed a little bit on his prior relationship with God. I mean, after all, he ain't God of friends. You know, how, how could God do this to him? Um, you know, God's people are not always pleased with what God does. Doesn't mean God's wrong. <laughs> But it means we're not always going to agree with him. We're not always going to like what, he's, what he does. Uh, that, that's something to take into account. But we need to learn from that. And, and when we're upset with the Lord, you know, we better think about what we need to change in our ways. I think it, it is 
you know, sobering to think about how much praise is, was being offered to God at that point. You know, this is not, they weren't transporting an idol and they weren't doing it half-heartedly. You know, I mean, they were really going all out in their praise and reverence for God. That's something to really give thought to. You know, that, that God had this outburst against them even when they were really enthusiastically honoring and serving God. It's a lesson on the kind of respect that a holy God deserves. Comments and questions on this? Yeah, better. If I were to ask... Um why not David? Or why not the ones who came up with the idea of transporting the ark uh, in that way instead of Uzziah? Why waiting until Uzziah gets to the point where he has to hold the ark and then strike him down to teach everyone a lesson? Well, the truth may be we don't know for sure the answer that, to that. However, we do know that Uzziah and Ahio were the ones leading the new cart. We do know that David had consulted with people before he moved the ark. I don't know whether Uzzah was one of the ones that suggested this or was in the forefront of this or not. There's some things like that we just don't have a way to know, but that's a possibility. There, it may be that the Lord saw fit to strike Uzzah because of Uzzah's particular involvement in this, or it may not be, I don't know. Yes? This is one place in the Old Testament that you really get to see the true personality of God and so many people today will say well God you know he he loves us no matter what we do no matter what decisions we make you know we, if we want to do things our way you know he'll still he'll still respect that but here it clearly shows God has a way he has a purpose we are supposed to follow it and if we don't there are consequences and sometimes <coughs> fatal consequences yeah absolutely good point yeah Jason we really see the danger of pagan influences that can that can be had on 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 us as people. I mean, the, this, they've seen the Philistines do this, and they seem to want to copy it, and they have tragic results. It's a great point because we are so easily influenced by the things we see in the religious world around us that seem to work well. You know, if 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 certain denominations do something and it grows their church, then we want it. <laughs> you know. Or if, if they, you know, we, we tend to really like what we see other people doing instead of respecting the Lord and his standard. Yeah, Willard. Yeah, one thing I was thinking about in, in this thing, David, he, he's kind of complicit with this idea, but none of the Levites ever spoke up. You know, none of, and I think that sometimes there's a lesson there in that they were all silent. The, the king has come out with his idea, but... There wasn't a single person we see reported that says that, you know, and the Levites were actually the experts in how it's supposed to be handled. So the experts of that time remained silent. Yeah, certainly you would assume no one should be participating in this if it's not being done according to the ordinance, and yet it looks like everybody was going along and participating. I like your point, I mean, you said that, you know, at the very beginning, how much respect that God wants for the symbol of his presence but then how much more so do we realize that when Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also, there God is also. Um, so it's kind of a humbling thought to think that, you know, in this kind of a setting, where we're gathered in his name, he's here. And so how much more respect and reverence should we have? And in every setting, really, Eric. I've heard it said recently that God doesn't stutter. 
like God, you know, he has the one little passage about making sure that you carry the ark correctly with the poles. And they could have looked at that and said, oh, we don't need to be so nitpicky. And, you know, like everything God said is important. Amen. Amen. Because he's God. Because he's holy. Because he's true. You know, it's a matter of respect for who God is. Yeah, awesome. And again, I think it's been said that the sincerity doesn't outweigh what God deserves because of his holiness. No matter how sincere we are in doing, quote, good things for God, they don't make them right necessarily. Amen. Set. John 4.24, spirit and truth aren't mutually exclusive, but you certainly have to have both. If you want to worship God, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. No one would accuse them of not worshiping in spirit and in sincerity um, in what they were doing for God. Amen. Yeah, other thoughts? Yes. This may be an incomplete thought, um, but maybe they saw the, how the Philistines, they brought the ark over, and they weren't punished on the spot like they were. So they were thinking, oh, I'll be fine, I'll be okay, because they weren't punished. And how we do that today, we see other churches doing things, good things, you know, um, feeding tons of people uh, with the church's money, doing great things, and they're not punished for it. And so I think people can do the same reasoning today. It looks to me like God was holding Israel to a higher standard than what he held the Philistines. And how much higher standards are we held to that we know? Amen. Yeah, to whom God gives much, he requires much. A good point, good observation. Anything else? What does Perez mean? I don't remember. What does Perizazza mean? Breakthrough. breakthrough. So that the Lord made this outburst, this breakthrough that day. Okay, uh, 12 to 19. Now it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. Uh, to where? Uh, I can read the rest of the chapter, I think. Okay. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw the king David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants. 
as one of these base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You really see a great deal of enthusiasm for the Lord as they bring the ark into Jerusalem now the right way. Uh, David has learned his lesson, took him a, three months to do it. And uh, he's very enthusiastic about this himself. He is singing and dancing before the Lord. He even takes off his royal robes to do that. Uh, you know, unashamedly uh, manifesting his great zeal and excitement for this occasion, for, for bringing the ark of God into Jerusalem. Um, and, and, you know, it was really a, a wonderful time. It's wonderful to be able to, to praise God enthusiastically and joyously and to see uh, God's work being done in various ways. But there was one person that just did not appreciate what was happening at all. That was Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, now twice. <laughs> I remember that interval that we talked about earlier. How does she see this? Shameful. Shameful. Why? Now, this is kind of, might be a debatable issue, but but what what is she? What, what was happening that to her was shameful? Why not? He's dancing around. He's, he's acting foolishly in her eyes, you know. Half clothed, uh, dancing in front of maidservants, and just just being like a, a regular person. Yes. Now, sometimes we might get the wrong idea. We're not talking here about some sort of moral shame. You know, this is not some sort of a, uh, you know, lascivious dance. We're not talking about uncovering himself in a in a sensual way, in a modest way, we're saying that he's acting like somebody who's really excited and enthusiastic to serve God, and he's getting down on the same level with common, ordinary people with no royal robes. He hadn't kept his crown on. You know, he's, he's acting like somebody who really gets excited about doing the work of God instead of maintaining his royal highness dignity and, and making sure he keeps himself very much above and aloof from the people. And, and Michael didn't approve of that. Now, what credentials might Michael have had to evaluate kingly behavior? Yeah. And she is Saul's daughter. Can't you tell that? You know, Saul, a man who's very concerned about, you know, his uh, royal honor in many ways. And uh, so she perhaps feels like she knows how a king ought to act. And a king ought to maintain his royal dignity and never act like an ordinary worshiper. I don't think she was right. Uh, I, think, I think this shows you a Saul kind of perspective on fervent... You know, passionate service for God. We ought to forget about our dignity. It's nothing before God. We ought not to be ashamed whatsoever in being very enthusiastic and diligent. It probably makes us look dumb. 
when we say speak out fervently for God and talk to people all the time about the Lord and our love for the Lord and, and what the gospel teaches. You know, that, that's probably not the reserved, you know, respectful etiquette thing to do in our culture. But when we don't care about that, we don't care what we look like, we're not trying to seem like we're sophisticated and cultured. We're, we're more than eager for people to think we're fanatics if that's what they're going to think about that. Because we love God and we're not ashamed to show it. I mean, to me, that would be the parallel. And, and we get too worried about, you know, are we, are we acting in a way that people are going to really look up to us like they ought to? Comments and thoughts? You draw a parallel to how Jesus acted. A lot of people turned their back on him because he wasn't doing the kingly thing, the thing that they were thinking he was supposed to do. They thought he would come in glory and... He was with sinners and tax collectors. So, I mean, what type of king would do that? What type of king would take off their robes and dance? Amen. Exactly. I think Jesus is a wonderful person to look at in that. And he didn't have what we would have thought of as a majestic uh, manner. Uh, you know, he didn't seem like royalty in, in, in the things he did. Yeah, excellent. Other thoughts? Yes. But it, it isn't required of us to like dance when worshiping God. Like, yes, that, that is correct. Yeah, or offering the sacrifices they offered. There are many specific things that God wanted in the worship in the Old Testament that what he really wants in the New Testament are more spiritual actions. But the same spirit of enthusiasm and, and excitement for the Lord in terms of what he wants us to do today. But yeah, you're right. Sacrifices, the musical instruments, the dancing, those were a part of <coughs> Old Testament worship, not a part of our worship today. Yeah, Kyle? I think I'm struck by the humility that David displays. I think it would have been easy after God struck down Azza to be a little... Uh, dissatisfied with trying to serve God and yet he's just as enthusiastic as he ever was about it. And I think there's that's difficult. Uh, I, I think my reaction would have been, well, if you didn't appreciate my sincere efforts before, then I'm sure not going to give you as much as I gave before. But yet he sees what God was trying to teach him and his relationship and love and fervor for God is in no way diminished. Amen. Great point. Beto. Yeah, uh, just along the lines of that, every time God does this, like Nadab and Abayu and Ananias and Sapphira, you have the people around just realizing, you know, okay, we need to do this better. And David makes this offering every six steps uh, of the whole traveling uh, that he has to go through. Just, again, acknowledging how great God is, realizing he's in control when he goes one step further, learning from the lesson of us, just like you see in the other occasions when God does the same thing. Very good. Logan. Do we have other examples in the Old Testament of dancing being part of the worship? Psalm 150, um, Exodus 15. Judges 21 with the women. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was religious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there may be others. Somebody think of others. Okay. Seth. Uh, why is it okay for David to offer sacrifices here, but Saul couldn't? In 1 Samuel 13, was it just because God told him not to, and to wait for Samuel to get there? 
Yeah, you know, I have a different view than what a lot of people do. I'm not assuming that either Saul or David offered the sacrifice as life. They were the ones that acted as the priest and actually putting the sacrifice on the altar and offered it. And David offers a sacrifice through the priest, of course. Saul offers sacrifices through the priest. But God told Saul to wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifice. So I think that was Saul's problem. Not that he acted like a priest, per se, but he didn't wait. So, I mean, you know, worshipers all the time are offering sacrifices to God. It doesn't mean they bypass the priest. It's just saying what, that they are the ones that are giving the sacrifice animal to the priest and offering Michael. What do you make of David's response to Michael here? It, you, you see that Michael doesn't treat David respectfully as a wife ought to, but you also see that in his response, David doesn't treat her or react in a loving manner. He sort of gives a slight against her father, and, uh, and to me it doesn't seem like he is acting as a husband ought. I may be looking at that. You know, wow. I don't know what to say about that. I'm not sure how he should have reacted. I'm not sure to what extent her attitude and, and behavior requires a strong rebuke. Um, you know, I'm not sure to what extent we ought to see this as the last vestige of Saul-type thinking and behavior that needs to be wiped out, more than this being an example pro con about husband-wife. So, you know, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, Jason. Regardless who's right or wrong here, I, I think this is a, very sad in the sense that, you know, at one point Michael loved David very much from 1 Samuel 18, and now we, it, their relationship is, is fractured to the point they will never really be husband and wife in any sense of the word from here on out. Appears so. She's barren until the day of her death, perhaps because they have no more husband-wife relationship. Roger. Yeah, we Try hard to be balanced. I think this story could have lead in such way. Uzzah gets struck down. That could have led David to be very, um, I don't know, uh, timid and, and really and, his, and, and for the Lord and just kind of like, well, I don't want to do anything that kind of, you know, might, you know, get me struck down or anybody else. Um, but also, you see David and his enthusiasm. And you, and you may think, well, is he doing maybe something wrong? And I think today, that's, that's the challenge today. We need to be both excited and reverent for the Lord. And th I think a lot of people today just want to go one way or the other. And, uh, and we need to be careful. We need to both be reverent and excited, uh, and excited for the Lord and enthusiastic. Our excitement is not for excitement's sake. Our excitement needs to, need to be because of our great respect for the Lord. When it's that, then it's good. Um, I think it's interesting how like Michael looked down on David because he went out and danced among the commoners. But that was why everyone loved him so much, was because he didn't put himself on a pedestal. He was equal with everyone else, and that's what people really want in a ruler. They want somebody that they can actually relate to, that listens to them, and that's one of the reasons David was so successful as a king. And it's a good uh, example for us who we're to be brethren, we're not to lift ourselves up uh, above others. Yeah, yeah, right. If there's one criticism I think I've heard, because relatively, I mean, I don't say it with consistency, more than once, 
and people at least my age about the way we worship is sometimes we do it in rote, maybe we say it's reverence, rather than this excitement we see out of David. I think Roger was right, we said we need balance, but at least my experience in general, sometimes we can maybe go on the other side of the excitement because denominations maybe might have too much excitement for the wrong reasons and we don't want to be like them, so we'll leave this to this other thing. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good example of the kind of enthusiasm we ought to have for the Lord. If this is just a matter of going through the motions of some kind of ritual, certainly that is nothing that we ought to be a part of. We, the Lord deserves our enthusiasm. Yeah. I think the enthusiasm that David had came from his perspective a lot because he realized that serving God is never going to be socially acceptable we're always going to be looked at as odd or hated or, you know, despised by society. And he understood that and he had a heavenly perspective instead of like, oh no, what are people going to think about me? He was, you know, looking towards, I'm serving my God and I don't belong here, I belong with him. Amen. Very good. Other thoughts? Yes. <coughs> so Michael not having any more children was like a punishment or they just Maybe a little of both. I think it's possible they didn't sleep together after this. That David, you know, they really hurts their relationship with each other. But certainly, she, at least we know she has no children. Yes. Doesn't this like wish to show that he loves God more than his own wife? Yes. I, that's the way I see this. Is this is not so much a referendum on David's relationship with his wife as it is, he's choosing to honor the Lord above trying to give in to his, to Michael's wrong view of the Lord. He's trying to humble himself instead of exalt himself. Okay. I just really appreciate because it, it says here that David danced and, and was worshiping God with all his might. Uh, and then upon criticism uh, that Michael uh, says to him, he then proceeds to say, I will even be even more lightly esteemed. It's basically equivalent of, you ain't seen nothing yet. And what a blessing that is. That here he is, is so, you know, giving all his heart out, but he's still looking for opportunities to grow in that. Uh, sometimes I would find satisfaction in going, wow, I served God with all my ability this day. But here David, in this instance perhaps, would say, well, I hope God will be more strength so I can serve God even more tomorrow. Yeah. Good point, Willard. You know, one of the things that kind of comes to mind just looking at this is she seems to be the only one that... that has no special feeling for the ark coming into the, the place. Everybody else is celebrating, as you know, especially David, but there it doesn't seem like there's any specialness to her for the ark even being there. Interesting thoughts, yeah, I agree. This kind of reminds me of um, Job's wife also, when Job's went through all that struggle and she said that she had Yes, good point, good point. Other thoughts? Eric? I think it's commendable of David that even when people closest to him didn't approve of what he was doing, that he still did what was right. You know, it's, it's, I think it's hard for us sometimes if, if it's stirring the pot or people don't like what we're doing, even those who are closest to us, we still do what's right. And that is true. You know, that's very true. The influence of people that have a lot of closeness to us, a lot of times we want to please them even when we're not pleasing the Lord in doing that. So, you know, if somebody tries to dampen our enthusiasm, we might give in just to please them. Good point. Josh? Maybe I missed this. Oh, what, am, what am I supposed to make of 
David's motivation moving off? Well, I, I mean, he's chosen Jerusalem <clears throat> as the center for government. He wants it to be the center of worship. I don't know all to say about that. I know the Lord honored that choice because that became the place where God chose for his name to dwell. I don't know if there's a revelation to David in that or exactly what, but, uh, but certainly it was right for Jerusalem to become that place. Cameron? I just love uh, David's response in verse 21. He says it was before the Lord. And just his mindset is not, I'm doing these things in front of other people, which is our mindset so many times, and we're being seen, but it was in front of the Lord. And that's how we should be living our lives. Like we're, we're seeing, we're on the stage and God's in the audience watching us. And we should be acting as if we're in front of the Lord <coughs> and not in front of people. Amen. Yeah, good point. Yes, um, Benny. Going along with what he said a minute ago. So in the Old Testament, we see a lot of, like, I'm going to choose a place and put my name there. And that's where you're going to, you know, worship me. But we never see him specifically, like, said, you know, and God said, I have known That's correct. Place. Okay. That's correct. Yes. This might occur to like Peter and to Hunter Wayne for it's going into too much detail, but I mean, if you have a person, say a friend who's in a denominational church, and they actually do <clears throat> dance during their services and things like that, how would you, you know, kind of bring the point to where, you know, you say that's actually not... I would just say there's no New Testament authority for that, and we know that we must have God's approval in the covenant we're under to do something in worship to him. Good. All right, we are going to sing for a little bit, uh, and then we'll...